Hello and welcome to the Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. This week I'm joined by an amazing guest, Rotimi Makonjola, who is Managing Director of Caverton, which is a logistics and aviation family business based in Lagos, Nigeria. We had an amazing conversation and Rotimi unveiled a lot of his stories in moving back, entering the family business going from Mr. Fix-It, in his own words, (laughs) to leading a gas cylinder division in the family business, and then coming back to the main umbrella organization. I really enjoyed this conversation. So many relatable stories brought to me really peeled back the onion on the values that he's learned from his father and how he continues to honor all that his father has built, but still is true to self and contributes to the business, navigating, building trust, and gaining respect with those that are older. But he's done it in an amazing way. So really encourage you to tune in, um, share within your networks, and enjoy. Hello, Rotimi. Welcome to The Connected Generation. Hi, Nikia. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? Not bad, not bad. Keep me safe. Awesome. So tell us more about you. Tell us more about Rotimi. How and why did you decide to join your family business? Okay, well, thank you for having me. My name is Rotimi Makonjola. I'm the managing director of accountable manager of Caverton Helicopters, a Nigerian-based logistics aviation company. Well, it wasn't really planned, so to speak. After my master's, the idea was always to come back to Nigeria and work, obviously in the family business, because that would have obviously been the easiest option. You know, I had plans of being a stockbroker and all that in the city in London, but I think that was pretty short-lived because it was almost like your life was hard a certain way. So mm. I wasn't upset about it or I didn't have any feelings about it, really. I always knew I was going to come back to Nigeria. So for me, it was fine. When I moved back, obviously, it was a bit difficult to find your footing because no one really told me what to do. Oh. I remember there was a day I was I was sat in my dad's office and I was like, yeah, but I want to work. And he's like, I'm not going to look for work for you. There's a lot <laughs> going on. So I'm sure you need to stand up and look for something to do. You know, Go and meet the finance director you know, go meet the MD of the company because my dad was the chairman. I said, mm-hmm. I'm looking for work. And one of the directors in the company, I went to him and I was like, yes, I'm trying to do something. And, you know, his response was like, oh, okay, no problem, man. I know a position we can have for you. It will be like a Mr. Fix-It kind of position. So, you know, at the start, I was like, ah, okay, well, maybe they need me, so I need to fix or sort things out. I kind of realized that it was more of a, okay, well, if we can't get it done, maybe you can go and meet your dad to mm-hmm. sort it out. You know? mm-hmm. So I wasn't really into that. So mm-hmm. at that time, we had a shipping business who were bringing in LPG cooking gas to Nigeria. So I decided that, okay, we have different gas plants and we bring in the, the gas with our vessels, but we don't have cylinders. So I went into a cylinder 
procurement and sales kind of business. So I had my contacts in India who make the cylinders, and then I would obviously import them and sell. So I did that the first time I did about 1,000 cylinders. Um, I loaned the money from my dad, and I, I created a company. It was called Sea Gas, uh, like Cavalton Gas, so Sea Gas. And um, it was going well, and the slogan was Sea Gas, See the Future. And oh. then my dad changed it to Sea Gas, They Always Pay on Time. Because every time I loaned <laughs> money from him, I would literally pay back everything immediately. And then obviously I had some profits and, you know, I was 25, 26. Obviously I would spend the profits and after a while I'll say, okay, I need to order another batch of cylinders and then I'll go to him. And during that period, we got a huge contract with Chevron, with Shell for mm-hmm. a helicopter service for about seven aircrafts. So the business started developing a bit more and we had to start bringing in a lot of expatriates professionals to come in. And I was like, okay, cool. We won a good contract, but I'm enjoying selling my cylinders and living a good life, going to the beach and all that. And so the last set of cylinders that I bought, I remember my dad was like, okay, yeah, so you have to pay the money back. And I was like, oh, okay, fine, but I haven't finished selling all the cylinders. And he's like, well, that's your business. You have to pay back and this is the interest and this is that. Then I was still being very boisterous. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll pay you back your money. Da, da, da. So I did that. And obviously by then I had already acquired gas plant. And then they were like, yes, and the gas, you have to also, like everybody else, you have to pay in advance and all that. So I kind of realized that it was more of a learning curve that, look, I used to spoon feed you. That's why it was going as good as you thought it was. But now that I'm focused on something else, you have to go and fend for yourself. So for about six months, I was trying to find my footing. I got one or two oil companies give me a supply for like 5,000 cylinders. But then I went to my dad and he said, look, since you're already doing business with all companies, go to the bank. And I think, <laughs> so I think I kind of learned my lesson after that. I mean, I went to the bank, they gave me the money, all the interest took all the profits. And then I was kind of like, you know what? I don't think I can handle this anymore. I kind of went with my tail between my legs and said, you know, okay, how is this done? And he was like, look, and he explained some things and he said, but at the end of the day, as you can see, the business is growing. We've gone from shipping. Now we're doing helicopters. Nobody from the family is in it. We're not aviators, so we don't know anything about it, but it's our business and we need to try and monitor and see how things go. So I was like, so what are you saying? And he was like, well, I suggest you sell your plants or lease your plant out and go into this. So. I kind of reluctantly did it. And I was obviously still trying to find my footing in Carrotton. And things started happening. And here I am. I'm now the MD of Carrotton after 10 years of loitering around in the system. Wow, I really love that story. It really made me laugh. Your dad didn't shelter you and shield you from the realities of entrepreneurship. Quite often, founders find it difficult to let go. 
and they don't necessarily provide room for the successor to come in and be able to actually learn firsthand what it is to run the business, to take on risk, to fail. Sometimes you fall flat on your face and you fail, so to speak, but really you learn from all these experiences. So it's really interesting to see that your dad was really giving you the school of the MBA, the real MBA, as my, my dad was saying, <laughs> the real MBA. <laughs> In our first conversation, you said something. You said to me that you didn't hustle your way to the top. You didn't go from rags to riches. That's not your story. How did you get comfortable in owning that as not being your story? Well, it's the truth. Like I said, I've, um, it sounds a bit odd, but I've never applied for a job. I won't say I don't know how to, but I've never given the opportunity. That's something we can say. I've never applied for a job. So I was always kind of given my job. So I might be the MD now, but am I qualified? I don't know. Am I doing a great job? I hope so. And people tell me I am. So I didn't hustle all the way to the top. I was Mm -hmm. always in the midst of things. If there were management meetings, I would be there. And I would just be there as the director. Sometimes uh, in the meetings, I'll say, I'm here to, I look after the interests of the owners. So I look after the interests of the shareholders. Okay. That was how I saw myself. So I kind of oversaw everything. Not oversaw, Mm -hmm. but I was into every little bit of thing, part of management. I could go into whichever meeting I wanted to go into to ensure things were going properly. So it was more of a, I was not given tasks to do. And for a while, I felt a bit lost because it just Mm -hmm. felt like, oh, the owner's son is here, so maybe let's not really say anything or let's not do this. Or some would be like, well, the owner's son is here. Let's tell him all the problems and let's see if he will solve it. So with most of the staff, especially because they had been with my father for a while, some of them even helped send my pocket money and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't call any of them by name. It's always Mr. or Mrs. And even till now, I still do that with any older professional. One thing that was hard was to always trying to tell them off when you know that they've done something wrong. wrong. It was a bit difficult. So I found a way of always doing it via mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I became very, very good at sending emails. And I think people kind of started judging my tone and my mood via my emails. Some of them even now, they were like, man, when I see a mail from... MD, I'm always like, hey, if I open it, is it going to ruin my day? Is it going to... Because I'm kind of very blunt and straightforward, yeah. regardless of the age. <laughs> so I think that was kind of where I found my balance. And after a while, I started becoming confident enough to take it on to them head on. I think that kind of helped because it didn't create the impression that I was entitled or arrogant. Yes. Because it was more like they'll take a step back and they'll say, well, he didn't say it to my face. And when they read the mail, I say what happened and they know what happened. And a lot of times, if they call me, as soon as they read the mail, I don't pick. I know it's a chicken way out, but I don't pick. And then what I do is I just send another email saying, 
really respond to my mail. And I think after a while, they realized that, okay, you know what? Because most of the time, when I did pick, they would always call and say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, but, you know, your mail was harsh now. You know, you could have just told me. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, if I tell you, sometimes you might misinterpret me. You might take Mm -hmm. it the wrong way. You might feel, who is this small boy talking to me? So that was the only way I could push it out and be as professional and firm as possible. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I think the route I took was probably easier than what a lot of people would have done in terms of applying for jobs and things. You know, I was kind of just placed, placed there. Mm. You've touched on another very important point, which is quite often as a next gen, you've come into a system that was already there before you. Staff that have been working in the business for a very long time and they may be older than you. How do you build respect? And trust them with them, and it's you know we're all creatures of habits. So a lot of them also get used to the thing the way my dad used to or does things. So a lot of times, if you bring up ideas or suggestions or things like that, they will tend to not rubbish it. Even though it might be a good idea, they would look at it in a way that, well, yeah, I thought about that before, but. Chairman is not going to agree to that. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I used to do was I did uh, in university, I did auditing and management, and I always used to like doing dissertations. I never wanted to do exams. So what I would do is if I wanted to put something forward, I would do a presentation with pictures and graphs and things like that, and then I would do it as a proper memo to the directed maybe then directed to maybe director of operations, and then I'll CC the chairman or whatever, and then I'll send an email out to everyone, including the chairman. So a lot of times you wait a day, nothing will happen, you wait a second day, and then my dad will now respond to the mail, literally hammering at them to say, this was sent, it made sense, none of you have said anything about it, what are you guys doing? Then they obviously immediately, they now start replying, oh, yes, 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 we saw it. And then he will call a meeting and then I'll present again and they will all be speaking and he'll be like, so why didn't you think of this? Why didn't you think of that? So they never still got to the point where, I guess because they were so used to it, they never got to the point where whatever ideas they had, they needed to bring, bring them forward. So what happened was they always used to come to me to now say, this is what we're thinking, how do you... So I always used to kind of help them put the ideas together and present it. So they now started building that trust in me, not just that my dad would listen to me, but more, okay, well, it's a good idea and it's a good way of presenting it because they, they, they were very used to just either Having trying to have a conversation to get mm-hmm. things done or just doing a memo without making it a bit, I don't know if, if it's artistic, but you know how our generation is with PowerPoint and mm-hmm. graphs and things like that. So I think they kind of like the fact that I could translate what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. To, I could send it out to everyone because my dad is in his 70s. So for him to even understand what I'm showing, 
a lot of people find it hard to explain or express themselves. So mm-hmm. I think I was kind of good at helping them push that. That's awesome. You said your dad is in his 70s. Um, I'm sure you're much younger. And <laughs> your worldviews and perspectives and wants may have differed from time to time. How do you reconcile that? How do you handle that gap, if there is one, between the two of you? Respect you know, to family business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I, I think I'm probably the only one in my family. I have uh, two brothers and a sister that argues a lot with my dad, not in a negative way, especially work wise, because a lot of times I'm not trying to get my way. I'm trying to explain different scenarios and then tell him to pick or decide or we make a decision. But a lot of times, I guess maybe because they're older or that's not what they're used to. By the time you're pushing out scenario one, they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, wait, I haven't finished. No, don't tell me you haven't finished. You're already saying this. I'm like, yeah, but that's not what I want us to do. It's like, so if that's not what you want us to do, why are you saying it? Why are you wasting my time? And I'm like, no, I have to give you all the scenarios and then we'll decide good, bad, whatever it is. I will tell you as it is. And I think to date, he's happy with that. Sometimes he'll call and say, what's up? And I'll be like, well, it's, it's not, things are not great. And it's like, you always say that. Yeah, well, because they're not, you know? And it's like, yeah, so, okay, how will you make it better? And I said, well, I don't know. I can't make it better, but it's not great. I'm not going to tell you everything is fine just because you want me to say everything is fine. And like, okay, okay, call me when you're afraid, when you uh, sorted out your nonsense. And I'm like, okay. And then in the evening, he would say, didn't I tell you to call me back? And I'll be like, yeah, but I'm trying to do this and that. And then you kind of listen and I'll tell him. And then if I've solved the problem or partially solved the problem, well, I told you you can, you can do it. So why do you need me? So I'll now drag him in. No, 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 no. It's not solved. I'm just telling you this is the situation. And it's like, yeah, so why did you have to make it look so bad? And I'm like, because if I don't make it look bad, you won't understand what I'm going through. He would think everything is fine. And then when mm-hmm. things go bad, it would be like, what were you thinking? Why didn't you tell me? So I try and as much as possible and as respectable as possible, obviously, just keep telling him what it is so he gets it. You know, I've had the phone drop several times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes it's this thing he does now. If I know it's something really important, I make sure I go to his office. And I sit there and we're there and we're going on. And sometimes he would press his buzzer and tell his secretary to take him out, take him out of the office. <laughs> oh my God. And I'll just be like, and then I'll start laughing and she would just be standing there like, uh, and I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> okay, I'm not, she's not going to take me out. So mm-hmm. then we laugh it off. And then I think perseverance and consistency is very, very key, especially with business with founders, you know, mm. it is their baby, regardless of how yeah. much you think you've, you've put in. You have to respect the fact that it is, technically, it is theirs. All they're mm-hmm. trying to do by involving you is now passing on to you. So before it's passed on to you, it is still there. So I kind of give them that respect. That's awesome. That's really awesome. That honoring 
mentality and that treasuring all that he's brought to the table it's not always perfect and it's not always easy for you to articulate and communicate and collaborate but when we honor them and honor all they brought to the table it really makes the collaboration much easier I wonder did you at any point want to do your own thing did you have your own passions and desires outside of the family business yeah I mean I definitely wanted to do my own thing even till now I still would like to do my own thing if I get time. I like ski life, so I'm into aquariums. I like aquariums. I have an aquarium in my office. I have an aquarium at home. So that is something I'd like to get into. It's something that obviously will take some time and take a lot of my time. So I can't obviously do that now. Another thing I was kind of into was in like play centers. I really enjoy play centers, especially taking kids there, stuff like that. So those are things that I'd like to do. But then again, yeah, people do make money out of it, you know, water parks and things like that. But I think I've kind of grown to like my job. Like I said, those things are like hobbies or things that I would really like to do. It would be so cool to do this. But in terms of passion, I think I have a lot of passion now for my work. I think... Mm. Passion is something that it grows onto mm-hmm. you. I mean, before I sleep, I'm, every time I wake up, I'm constantly thinking about work. It's funny because a lot of times people will be like, ah, this guy, don't burn yourself out. And I'm like, no, but I actually like it. I'm into it. And I say, look, if I'm tired, then I work till my battery dies and then I leave it. Because I wouldn't switch off my phone but I would let it's on. I would let my battery die. Like I would intentionally leave it and let it die, and then I'll go and charge it somewhere in the bedroom or wherever. And then maybe in an hour or two, I can go and check it to see what is up. But I still try to make time for mm-hmm. my family and my kids. But I'd say I'm kind of the work kind of revolves around me. And I think that's something my dad also kind of brought into to us. And he always says this, he says, the only time you're allowed break is on Christmas Day. That's the only time. As a business owner, that is your only holiday. And it's your only holiday because people wouldn't call you on Christmas Day. And every other day, Saturday, Sunday, as a business owner, especially in our own field of business, you will always be called. And it's funny because this past Christmas, there were one or two things that I had to do. So I called my dad and I said, that he told me that you know, <laughs> Christmas Day is the only day. The day <laughs> uh, so how come I'm working? And he said, well, now you are a business owner. You know that <laughs> there's no free day, you know, Saturday, Sunday. So what I do is I try and just fit my time around it. Sometimes you can get carried away, but sometimes my dad also tells me that, look, when things are tough, all you need to do is just put your phone aside and just go to bed because uh, whatever problems you are facing now, unless you're solving it, it's not going to go away. So you might as well put it aside, sleep over it, wake up. It will still be exactly where you left it, but at least you've had your rest and you've cleared your mind. So that's what I tend to do. We've had serious situations in the company where, 
you're just there going, oh my God, oh my God, and you call my dad and I'll be telling him this and that, and oh my God, this is happening. And he'll just be like, mm, mm. and you're thinking, dude, seriously. Do you understand? <laughs> and he's like, oh, please don't kill me, John. You know I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, no. And he's like, ah, okay, go and sort it out then. I mean, what do you want me to do? <laughs> They say, where are my people, which are my kids? And I'll be like, dude, you don't even understand what is going on. And, and then after a while, I'd look around, just sit and just say, actually, why am I taking all the pressure on my head? And then I'll just kind of get up and you know, play with the kids and go for a swim or whatever. And maybe like a day later, something will happen and get out of it. And you'll be like, well, I told you. But at the back of my mind, I'll still be like, well, you know, it was a close call, but and it's like, do you know how many close calls we've had? There's nothing you can do about it. If it's going to go wrong, you'll go wrong. But you just have to make sure your head is in the right place. Hmm. That's pure wisdom there, because as business owner, like your dad says, we don't have day off. Even that Christmas day, he took it from you <laughs> last yeah. year. And that mental burden, that mental load, that heaviness that we carry, it can be a lot. So yeah. I love the way your dad has created a Bikbami kind of, you know, yeah. you must hold on to your peace of mind yeah. is number one. Because outside of that peace of mind, you can't even get clarity to know yeah. what to do. I really love that philosophy. So you've had 10 years of an adventure in your family business. What would you tell wrote to me 10 years ago based on the lessons you've learned as he's coming back from the UK and you know fresh what would you tell your younger self I think I wouldn't want to change anything right now to be honest I think probably just to follow what your mind is thinking and there are a lot of things and I was telling a friend the other day that it's funny that um, there are some things you think about and think okay I want to do this and after a while, you'll be like, maybe not. And then three, four days or a week down the line, you'll see that somebody else is doing it or you'll see that's what everybody is doing. So it's not about having like a foresight per se, but it's just about literally going for what you think you believe in or this is what mm-hmm. I want. I know I can make it work. It's mm-hmm. not just, oh, this is, I believe in this and I'll do it. You have to know that it can work. And if you feel and know that, look, this thing can work, then you have to go for it. The reason I say that is one of the things we're doing now in our companies, we have a simulator, a helicopter simulator. There's actually no helicopter simulator in the whole of Africa, let alone Nigeria. So literally everybody with that type of aircraft, which there are about, I think, 110 in the whole of West Africa alone, everybody flies out to either the US or Europe. And obviously, Dubai or Middle East is now the next place because, like I said, they also have the idea. They don't necessarily do the work, but they have the idea that, hang on, if Hmm. this simulator is only in America and Europe, the Africans normally have issues with visas and things like that to go to those places. So Hmm. why don't we build it there? And they've been going there for a while. And for us as a company, because we do fly for the oil and gas industry, we have to do simulator training 
every six months. And we have a total of over about 110 pilots. So you can imagine that's 220 flights, 220 tickets, credit, hotel bills, and actual payments that we have to do every year. So I thought about it a while ago that, look, why don't we buy how much is the simulator? How much are we spending and how much is the simulator? And, you know, normally, no, no, it's not. It's a waste of money. What's the point? What's the best? And I kind of, I shied back from it for a while. And then later on, I just said, you know what? No, I'm going to chase this up. So obviously, I chased it up. I spoke with the company. We see the next thing that came was the financing. So I was like, look, I don't have the funds for that. I'm not going to lie. We don't have the funds for that. Okay, can you go to the Nigerian bank? I said, no, they wouldn't give us the money. And they were like, oh, okay. I said, well, look, this is our operations. You can see the potential business there. You'll be the first in Africa, blah, blah, blah. And they went back. It's a French company called Talis. And they went back and forth. And they said, you know what? We'll finance it that we will finance it directly with you guys. Don't worry about getting a Nigerian bank or another bank. We already know you have oil and gas contracts. We'll tie in some of the payments with your receivables and we'll go ahead. And now we're, I think, the last two months of finalizing the, the simulator. So it's definitely a big game changer for us. I think for Nigeria or for Africa, generally it's quite huge because it means Nigerians don't have to fly out to oh. go and learn how to fly this helicopter or do their recurrency training because those are things that are mandated by the civil aviation. You can't do a recurrency training on a real aircraft because what you do in a simulator basically is everything that can go wrong is what you need to put in the simulator. So you lose an engine or you lose a tail rotor or something has to go wrong. And then you see how you recover from it. So if it happens in real life, you can obviously manage it properly. So that was really something that I felt I could have done earlier. Mm. Uh, But because I just felt maybe people might not. And I think it was more when I started having a bit more control in the business. I was kind of like, no, this is what I'm going to do. And it's turned out well. So that's why I would say 10 years ago, I would, Tell myself, whatever you are thinking of doing, just go ahead and do it. Just do it. Just do it. Excellent. My last question for you, are you excited about the future? Yes, I am. I'm actually very, very excited. I see a lot of my friends who are gradually taking on their family businesses as well, which I'm happy because then I don't feel guilty or I don't feel odd or left out in the sense Mm -hmm. that it's almost like, well, this guy, you're okay now, your dad has been mm. okay. Mm. I used to have that kind of complex before, but now I don't because now I think the way they see that, obviously, I work, <laughs> I put in a lot, and my dad actually has given me the opportunity to put my own stamp on. They're like, oh, wow, I wish my dad could do this. And Gradually, I think their parents are also doing it because for some reason they always use me and my parents as the benchmark. Uh, but see, Mr. Makajola let someone in that company now before <laughs> insurance, see that, that kind of thing. So I think, I don't know, but maybe the parents too are also realizing that actually it's true. If 
they let this guy run this company and he's not even in his 40s. How bad can it be? My dad is still in the background. I still speak yeah. to him every day and give him updates. So I'm excited at the fact that a lot of people, a lot of young people, entrepreneurs are coming up as well. I'm excited that a lot of them, I have the opportunity to kind of grow them as well. Whatever contracts or jobs that are around, whether it's making the uniforms or building some new changes or things like that, I always tend to try and push and look for the younger companies. I tend to shy mm. with them. Mm. the old school. He's an old guy. He said, no, I used to do this. This is not how we do it. Mm. I don't like being told what I want. I like to discuss it. Okay, we want to build this thing here. How do we do it? Oh, should we do this? No, I like this. Okay, well, we can work with that. I don't want to be told, no, 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 that one won't make sense now. You can't do that. What are you talking mm. about? So I kind of always shy away from that. So I'm excited about the changes that are happening. I mean, the economy is, as much as it's not going that great, there's still a lot of new things that are coming up, despite all the challenges. And I think COVID, as bad as it has been, it has actually brought out a lot of the entrepreneurs and people that really know how to work have come out. The lazy guys have kind of been like, eh, but I can't travel, so I can't do this and I can't do that. But the real guys that have really pushed have gathered the strength from within and within the country to now start bringing up things. So I'm looking forward to the next 10, 10 years. And I think there'll be a big, be a big difference. Every day I get CVs of expatriates wanting to come wow. to my career. So, really? Wow. Yeah. So I... Sometimes I show some of the guys, Nigerian younger guys, and I go, look, I mean, I don't want this to sound bad, but I mean, if somebody is coming all the way from Australia or Canada and saying he wants to come and work in Nigeria, you know, then there's something we are also missing. So let us try and look within to see that, yes, it's bad, but it's really not that bad if Mm -hmm. we try and work together to push things forward. I love the way you just said that. That's so inspirational and it's great perspective for us all. Great perspective. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed hearing about your story. If anyone wants to reach you and get in touch with you, how can they get hold of you? You can send me an email, rotme.macandrola at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter, but for some reason, I wish you get my Twitter handle. Because <laughs> <laughs> I logged in a long time ago and I, I can't remember. I'm on Instagram, it's MacTim123. And I think I'm, my Twitter handle is at LordTim. So I'll include those in the show notes so they can contact you. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Nick. Oh, I love that. I love that. I mean, I remember the first time Rutmi and I met, and he said, I didn't hustle my way to the top. I didn't go from rags to riches. That's my story. And I was like, wow, he's fully owned his truth and is so authentic and confident in his truth. His story is one of emergence. It's one of discovery. And it's one of honor. And I just love how, in spite of the fact that 
obviously we have two different generations here. His father and himself are quite different, right, in terms of their perspectives, their leadership styles, and the way they do things generally, their personalities and what have you. There's still a heart that leans in towards honouring all that his father has built, seeking to build on top of it, collaborate with non-family staff, with family members, in ensuring that we have a legacy enterprise. In listening to his story, I was just taken aback how he's led with so much emotional intelligence, how he's built trust, and how he's led with persuasion. And it reminds me of a book, The Art of Soulful Persuasion, which I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend. His book is authored by Jason Harris. Essentially, the book is about being yourself, being someone you can trust and be someone that's relatable, be someone that's inspiring, be soulful. And in the book, Jason mentions, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. And I love the way that Rotomi has stepped into the fullness of himself and leads so authentically and soulfully. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take good care and God bless you.